Hello, and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two sisters living in different parts of California um, talk with family and friends about their favorite childhood movies. So I will let Eleanor introduce our guest and movie. So our guest today, I'm very excited to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, the rap song at the end, T-U-R-T-L-E, Power, is one of my favorites. So tonight we have AJ Berna, who is a comedian and producer and filmmaker and editor here in Los Angeles. So AJ, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself um, and about any work you have going on, we'd love to hear uh, yeah, I'm AJ Brown. Thanks for having me on. I uh, yeah, I'm a writer, director, um, mainly, and uh, editor pays the bills. Um, <laughs> and uh, as as I feel like everyone in LA is has about 18 different titles at different points. Um, but yeah, I uh, kind of right now what I've got going on is I just wrote and directed a short film that. I'm kind of in the final stages of uh, putting it up uh, or sending it to festivals, that kind of very fun process that can take anywhere from 30 minutes of uploading to a year and a half of submitting it to different places. And then I'm also, uh, I co-wrote with my friend Annabelle Seymour and directed a web series that's kind of a spy spoof. Okay, so for the spy spoof... Yeah. So for the spy spoof, we love, like growing up, we loved uh, Get Smart. Um, I actually have never seen the Steve Carell in Hathaway remake, but what drew you to the spy genre before we delve into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah. So what kind of drew me to it, uh, it actually came out of, uh, I've been doing improv in LA for seven years, maybe a little longer. And I did a scene with a friend uh, named Franco, who the premise was kind of like bad spies. And I just initiated a scene where I was like, hi, I'm Jake Normalman, not a spy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So after that scene, I really liked the idea, but I just couldn't get it to work. And I am on another improv team with Annabelle, who co-wrote it with me. And I just always thought she would be great for the the female lead of it. And when we talked about it, we decided to work on it together. And it really was her kind of like cracking cracking it open. And like together we figured out the tone and everything. But I definitely couldn't have, couldn't have done it without her. And it is a little more on the like not like the Austin Powers of like here's a goofy spy, although he is goofy. It's a it's a little more on like the Naked Gun spectrum of. Uh, or airplane, like a little absurd, like good. And, yeah, it's, so it's. I feel like uh, a fun and very silly, and that's actually what I've been doing all day today. As we shot, we've shot six episodes, and so I'm kind of now in the the editing stage of that. And where will you release them? Most likely on YouTube or Facebook. So kind of uh, that's kind of a great question, uh, oh, yeah. but definitely. Definitely uh, one of those two. <laughs> cool. Good. I mean, they reach a lot of people. They're very effective. So yeah. that's awesome. Well, and it'll be int- it will be interesting now, especially as Facebook really pushes Facebook Watch and all the original content that they have coming out. So I wonder how much they'll adapt or highlight or even like give writing specs to people who use their distribution system. It'll be awesome. Okay, but now to um, Annie's favorite part. Um, she, I have the good fortune to know AJ in LA. Annie and our listeners have not met AJ. So Annie likes to play this game that she refers to as speed friending. Annie, are you ready? Of course. Of AJ, are you ready? I think so. Okay. First, what was the best part of your day today? Oh, man. I've been playing a game called Dragon Quest, which is 
huge in Japan and has never been very big over here. And it's just been very fun. And today I got to like, there's generally in all of them, like this big plot twist halfway through. And today I got to the plot twist. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that is so fun. Yeah. That's awesome. What a great thing. Okay. Um, what is your dream travel destination right now? Oh man. I would have to say Edinburgh, which I'm going to in December. So it's uh, it's tough if that fits as a dream and that I'm going there in three months. So. That's awesome. I'm very excited for you to realize that dream because it's absolutely beautiful. Eleanor and I were there together um, a couple years ago. Oh, cool. Um, what also, is your- also in December? We were Say there what? also. We were also there in December, and we loved it. And they have like beautiful Christmas decorations everywhere, and a giant Christmas fair with lots of food and drink options. So it's pretty. Yeah, I kind of thought it would be a very fun time of year to go. It's beautiful. Um, what is your favorite morning beverage? I that's a tough one. It would probably be between either Diet Coke or Diet Mountain Dew. Mm. Okay. In the, okay. In the in the morning, you drink Diet Diet Mountain Dew in the morning. I am impressed. Yeah, man, you got to do the do. <laughs> I have literally never heard anyone say that. So you're very singular, AJ, in a good way. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay and then our final question um steve carell or steve buscemi steve carell but that's like a very tough comparison i mean i i think he's one of the funniest actors of the last like 20 years steve buscemi is such a like great actor as well but i think i i mean the office is just gonna win every time i think fair fair we love to pit celebrities against each other, but that they have to have the same first name. <laughs> okay. So AJ, can you tell us a little bit about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Absolutely. I can. Uh, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, is based on a comic by Kevin Laird or, and it's Laird and Eastman and I forget which one is named Kevin. But regardless, they wrote this comic. It was very clearly a parody of Daredevil uh, to the point that, like, it's technically in the comics. It's literally the accident that gives Daredevil his powers, makes the turtles. Uh, but it's a much more, like, brutal version. This movie was after the cartoon had blown up and become very, like, kid popular. They made this movie. And the premise is that it's for teenage mutant ninja turtles uh it's very high concept and (laughs) the uh basically these four brothers have been trained by a rat named splinter who learned from his owner who was a a japanese ninjutsu master and Mm -hmm. he is has trained them in the art of ninjutsu and concurrently a uh his master's rival uh, who now goes by the name shredder has started a huge crime wave in new york and uh the turtles kind of get caught up in it first by saving a reporter named april o'neill and then deciding trying to get to the bottom of it i think that's done yeah (laughs) the plot thickens the information you provided is immediately fascinating because I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We grew up with it because our older cousin, who we were, like, obsessed with, who's four years older than me, he loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so we got his leftover VHSs and cartoons and then this movie. Um, but I, as much as I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I honestly had no idea it was a parody of Daredevil. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it plays up as much now. It's not played that way because it feels like its own thing. And it really is a franchise that's run for, if you start from like the cartoons for 
what, 30 years, 35 years, somewhere in there. Uh, and, but for me, what really cemented it was when the new Daredevil show came out, uh, retroactively, this movie kind of feels like a parody of it. Oh. It's, I mean, it's, it's set in New York. It's got the same kind of like dark tone, only this is Ninja Turtles who are very goofy as opposed to Daredevil who is about as grim dark as possible. But uh, the, Darede- uh, the Daredevil villains are called the Hand uh, instead yeah. of the Foot. Uh, his master is named Stick instead of Splinter. Uh, there's a lot of like uh, clear like initiate uh, initiations from there, but I think it's really grown to be its own uh, very silly thing. Oh yeah, it's kind of. I don't know. It's like fun that way too. So I, my most recent, recent like thought about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came uh, probably at the beginning of September, right before I was about to leave Chicago. And I, um, AJ was like a tutor for this junior who he's now a junior in high school. And I've been tutoring him for several years and he was having a really tough time with remembering the Renaissance painters. And so I literally turned to him and I was like, do you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? And he was like, yeah, I know their names. I'm like, then you have four great examples of Renaissance artists. Um, and it very much helped him to remember. It was so funny. He was like, wait, are you for real? I was like, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's their, uh, that's, that is a great cheat sheet for, for everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really the dream. He's like, I'll never forget that. I'm like, you should have noticed right away, but like, we cool. <laughs> that being said about the names of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'll offer this question to both AJ and Annie. Is there a turtle that you associate with or align with personally? Um, if you were to take a BuzzFeed quiz, which one do you think you would be? Well, I get Raphael uh, when I do those kind of quizzes. Uh, and I've, he's, he's been my favorite forever. But he's, <laughs> Uh, he's the loner. He's sarcastic. He uh, is definitely the the introvert of the bunch. I mean, Donatello also is kind of in that area of introvert if you look at it. But I'm I'm much more uh, in that realm. And yeah, I've just always kind of identified with that. Like, uh, I don't think I have the anger issues he does. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough when it's like. He's your favorite. But yeah, I, I've, I've actually taken, I don't know if it was a BuzzFeed quiz, but one of those and gotten, gotten Raphael before. That's so funny. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really remember the name attached to this one, but the one that's like crazy, who like is just kind of like does what he wants, but is very funny. That would be Michelangelo. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I feel like I don't take anything, which is probably not good, very seriously. Um, and I think that's kind of like where he's at, you know, like he's always just like, where's the pizza? Like he's the one who's most broy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely, he's the uh, the jokester of the bunch. Yeah. And then in the, uh, the Michael Bay produced versions they did he clearly was stoned the whole time like he had like he had like bloodshot eyes and uh uh they definitely played up that aspect a lot but uh but yes traditionally he's the the party dude that is so funny see i have had unfortunately missed the michael bay versions um Uh, very fortunately they are great uh the second one was better than the first one but they're not Uh, by any stretch good and the turtles look very weird oh this is like good to know maybe i won't waste time watching it (laughs) eleanor how about you so for me the turtle that i identified with the most strongly was definitely leonardo um because i liked to take control of things or be the leader or assume i was the leader 
I think that's very fitting with my personality. But also, AJ, I love that you're Raphael. Because also, in this, in this particular movie, though, Raphael is the most interesting and complex character. For sure. Oh, yeah. Like, and his story uh, arc, I find the most interesting. Yeah, I think he definitely is the only one in this movie of the Turtles with an arc. But... Uh, an interesting fact, because I was uh, I did some reading about this movie yesterday uh, and saw an oral history from the like 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary or something. Uh, the the turtles all had uh, like actors in the suits, and then they recast the voice actors. Although they did not tell the actors in the suits that's what they were doing. So it's kind what? of like a it's like a Vader James Earl Jones type thing. But the actor who played Raphael was the only one who also did the voice for uh, for the turtle. So he was both the the actor in the suit and the voice, and everyone else got recast. Oh. That's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, and he it was funny because they were saying they were like filming in North Carolina and were wearing these like huge rubber suits, so they were just like melting inside them. And he basically was like, yeah, I used that. Like, I was so upset with what was going on that I just used that in the character. And that's probably why it worked. That's so funny. <laughs> I kind of love it. So what I also particularly remember about this movie, and I think it really colored the way that I saw people who liked to skateboard, um, is like the skateboarders are like the gang in this movie, which is pretty funny. Oh yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that uh, when they get to where the, the foot has their headquarters, it's like video games, skateboarding, graffiti. So it's like literally every vice you could have are all in that like one place. Right, it's like absolutely hilarious, but it's also like the vices of the 90s. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, totally. They're not actual vices. They were just things that like teenagers were doing that people were scared of at the time because they didn't like understand it. People are silly. So when did you first see this movie? Oh, I, I would imagine, I don't remember seeing it in theaters, but I would be surprised if I didn't. Uh, but I also at the time lived in like a town of 10,000 people in Montana. So it may not have been easily <laughs> accessible, but I, I am sure I saw, I mean, I am sure I saw it before I have a memory of seeing movies. That's so interesting. Cause I, I would have been, it came out in early 1990. I would have been four. Uh, and I had already dressed up as Ninja Turtles by that point. That's so funny. Wow. I mean, this is a great movie. Also, Eleanor, go for it. It's, But it's kind of intense for the three-year-old. I mean, because the scenes and there's darkness and there's crime and violence. Um, and it's different when it's in human form as opposed to the cartoons. Um, so that, But I also remember watching this probably like too early for what on a quote-unquote healthy child development um but it's yeah as a three-year-old this would have been a lot I think yeah I mean I I probably agree there I think it's one of those things though that at that age having seen the cartoons and I mean I would have been closer to uh to four uh if not five but at that like at that age, uh, you probably filter out a lot of the like things you don't like necessarily understand. And it's still like, while they are like sad and it's like a little, it definitely is darker than I remembered. It doesn't feel dark because like three of the four turtles are just goofing around most of the time. Yes. Yeah, this movie though, from, from again, it's been like a little bit of time since I've seen this movie. I'm not gonna lie to you. This movie is from memory, pretty dark. Um, and it feels like kind of the movies that were coming out in the 90s, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like I also, when I think of this movie, I also think of the original Power Rangers movie with like the goo dude. And um, 
both of them seem pretty dark, at least aesthetically. Like both were like the bad guys were like underground or like doing nefarious things and like gritty downtown settings. Like that's what I picture when I see those movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they were made and I think Power Rangers, if I had to guess would have been 93 or 94, but that was like, the like crime had been increasing across the country, especially in urban centers. Uh, and it only started falling around like 94 to 97. Mm -hmm. So these were all being made when it was like, like this was the same thing when like uh, it, Hillary got all the flack during the primaries for saying like super predators. That was this time. Like that was crime was on the rise and uh, it it shifted after that, but it definitely, I think, comes from a place where cities were seen as these, like, dark, violent places. Like, uh, where she lives in the movie is Bleecker and 11th, and right now that's, like, the most gentrified place. It, like, I looked on Google Maps to see what it looks like now, and I'm like, that looks nice. I can't afford to live there. Whereas her, <laughs> it's, like, literally just run-down warehouses next to her apartment. Because this would also... Annie, if you think about it, it would be on the heels of Giuliani's uh, broken glass policy in terms of urban policing and this whole idea that, which has now partially been disproven, that neighborhoods that have broken windows or graffiti that will encourage people to continue to misbehave. Um, so we think about this because this was also the time where no one would go in or shortly after the time where people wouldn't go into midtown Manhattan. Like Times Square now is kind of this weird Disneyland like urban center. But that's only really in the last 25 years that that was the case. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is the broken glass is like idea that broken glass idea of policing is actually used a lot. Even and you said it was interesting because you were like, Oh, it's kind of been debunked or whatever. It's used a lot in education. Um, like people talk a lot to teachers about like the broken glass syndrome. Um, and like using that in classrooms, like if one kid misses misbehaves and you don't catch it, um, like what happens with that, you know? So it's like, it, it's just interesting how we like to find bad and good in different settings. So AJ question for you. Have you ever participated in any of these, what this movie considers bad activities? Oh man. I was the biggest, just uh, lame nerd growing up. I, I've never smoked uh, even now. I partly because I have asthma and partly because when I was impressionable, no one would have offered me any. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, at, what they have in this movie, I haven't ever skateboarded. I have played video games, as I've mentioned already. But no, I mean, I, uh, I think I was uh, too much of a goody two shoes to do anything. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I mean, I haven't done any of it either, of this, like, young urban gang that shred. What is this name? Shredder? Yeah, it's Shredder, and it's the Foot Clan. The Foot Clan. Okay. I would say one of the most important parts of this movie is that the head thug of the Foot Clan is Academy Award winner Sam Rockwell in one of his earliest roles. Wait, and it is to yeah, he's oh, the one yeah. who offers cigarettes of... to uh, to Danny when he walks in, or like he like proudly holds them up, and he looks so young. I was like, I think that's Sam Rockwell, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, I love that. And it IMDb is definitely Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, his IMDb like character for this is just head thug which is an amazing name head thug dun 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 i also love how apparently all of these people who were in the gang just like magically are really good at karate 
Uh, well, they do. There is like the they're the kids they recruit, and then they like train them. So like you see them training at one point. So I think it, the idea being that there are like it's kind of a cult. They like get you in by being like, look, you can have cigarettes and you can play video games. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, I feel like I belong here. And they're like, yeah, you do belong here. Let me teach you how to be a ninja so you can beat people up. Yeah, that it's really this movie is like pretty violent now that i think about it it's like making the youth violent that's what like the bad guys do and it's to that point it's alarmist it's a movie that's enjoyable for kids but also interesting and i think this ties into the simultaneous popularity of power rangers at the time that you could fight bad and you could fight people who do bad while using karate and particularly the Asian, I'm putting in quotes here, like the Asian ways of violence and having this idea that you could participate, but also it's like a higher calling or a higher cause. And we see this also, I would say in, uh, three ninjas and that trilogy of movies um and how do how do kids particularly young boys fight against badness while also like being physically um energetic and demonstrative those yeah. are some interesting yeah sorry go ahead aj oh yeah i was just gonna say i think that um, it definitely, there is a, a big part of that, like kind of that young power fantasy, uh, that I think you're kind of highlighting both that the, the Foot Clan offers that in like the wrong way, but it's still more or less the good guys still learn how to do, you know, all these fighting moves and then fight people, uh, but they're doing it for the right reasons. So it, it is, a an interesting because, uh, like, both sides have the same skills and uh, loosely come from the same place. Yeah. Okay, so now that, again, I'm thinking about this, I haven't thought about child action movies from the 90s in a while, but I feel like karate, like, karate had a phase. Like, they, these Eastern martial arts, as we call them, had a phase in movies where it was, like, the Karate Kid, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Three Ninjas. Um, what's the other one I was just thinking of? Power Rangers, too, almost. Like, they fought people. Um, I wonder if, like, more people, more kids started doing karate during this, like, kind of cultural moment that it was having. Do you guys know of anyone who started karate because of these movies or started karate during these times? Uh, I don't, although I'm sure, uh, especially movies like The Karate Kid helped, uh, uh, bump that up. But I think it probably also has something to do with just that there was, um, like just in general globalization and then Japan kind of coming into its own as a world power, but also as just one of our trading partners. And so we got an influx of their culture and it obviously was Americanized in a lot of these ways. Um, but it probably comes from like the Kung Fu movies of the seventies. And uh, I mean, even Power Rangers, they literally just bought a, the, a TV show from Japan and they filmed American actors in a school setting and then cut in the like robot fights from the Japanese show. They literally cut oh, in okay, the AJ, I really... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eleanor. No, no, no. Annie, you finished that point. Well, I'm just, like, fascinated that they cut in an exact scene from a Japanese show. That's, like, that's pretty interesting, <laughs> you know, that um, I feel like Hollywood likes to remake things that do really well abroad, not, not, not necessarily kind of accept them at face value like the only for an example like the only foreign language movie i remember winning 
just best picture, not like best foreign language picture, was like the artist. I could be wrong about that. Eleanor would know better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was partly just because it was a kid show and they were trying to make it as cheap as possible. All of the fight stuff had been done. I just looked it up. It's uh, uh, Cairo Ryu Sente Kai. Oh my God, I can't even, I'm so butchering this, but Zayu Ranger uh, is the name of the show. And yeah, so they just adopted, like they bought the uh, uh, the stock footage rights, like just to reuse the rights. And uh, um, I think it was just to save money. Like I, I would imagine the movies, they filmed some of their own stuff, but for the TV show, like they probably paid pennies on the dollar for what they got out of it. I want to return to this point that you brought up about why you believe there was this kind of Western obsession with Japan during this era. And it is what you talked about, I think, is so valid with the idea of Japan coming into a world power as a trading partner and specifically thinking through martial arts films, um, because while Japan regained a, like international prestige and commercial power they still since world war ii japan has not been like allowed to have a standing army but this so martial arts is a way to respect the power of japan but in a sense situated historically um because it's not weaponized really other than nunchucks per se so can, so thinking through how do we justify yeah I, i'm by no means an expert on it but i would just that was just kind of my like the the feeling i would get is that or that i get from it is that uh it kind of became that sense of uh we probably because we had bases there that we were um it was in our realm of like our sphere of influence and we had you know soldiers coming back and uh, a little more intermingling just culture wise that it uh, I would assume slowly built out uh, from that and then just kind of in the whole multicultural sense of uh, the world I think or at least the American cultural landscape started opening up to more things uh, they are a you know a developed nation they're I think the currently the third uh, largest economy in the world and they were second largest for a long time. So they're probably one of the few non-European nations that had a strong uh, strong enough economy to put out the volume of uh, just uh, entertainment that I think you would need to like have stuff hit over here. Like even England, like, like until I think like maybe 2004 with like the new Doctor Who, like while there were fans here, like it took them a long time. Like they had to start like having, you know, eight BBC channels putting out stuff before it really got over here. So I would imagine it's kind of a combination of all those. And then to a certain degree, it's that uh, I'm sure there are some, uh, it's an easy way to have kind of those, uh, like mysticism or uh, like there's probably some like racial elements to it that it became like a like kind of a a trope of its own so I would say it's probably both a uh, a combination of those and then uh, lazy Hollywood writers in a lot of senses mm-hmm Okay, I, I like this final point, this this point that you just brought up about lazy Hollywood writing, and you've clearly expressed your opinion on the Michael Bay remakes or uh, sequels would be the more appropriate term. And so as a writer and as someone who enjoys this world and is steeped in the world of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if you were to develop a project using the TMNT creative property or intellectual property, what would you want to do with it? Or what kind of storyline would you, or would you want to do an, more of an origin story? Would you want to update and modernize or yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts about what you would, what you in particular would do with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this I would say it's like a top four 
Like if I got to do any, like make anything, this would be somewhere in the top four, if not number one, just depending on the day. Um, I think the probably mo- if I was doing a live action version, because they've had, they've had cartoons on the air basically constantly since 85 or 86. Um, but if I was doing a live action version, I think it'd be better suited for at least for now as a uh like a netflix tv show or some some sort of like tv show where it's a little more uh you can like focus on the relationships you can have uh kind of like build the characters and have the characters be more central i feel like with four or you know between four and seven main characters it's tough for a movie to really do that well uh as you pointed out Three of the four Ninja Turtles basically don't have arcs in this uh, in this movie. Uh, I've actually thought about this probably too much. Um, my ideal would be uh, using at least as a source of inspiration. There is a, a comic series uh, by IDW, which is one of the like like many major comic publishers, and their goal with the comic was to kind of take like this movie, the original uh, Eastman comics and the cartoon and kind of this like history that Turtles have built up over 40 years and make a comic that was new and original, but like paid respect to all of those and like took the best ideas from all of them. And I think just like now, like you have like the Thor Ragnarok movie that is uh, heavily inspired both by like uh, the Planet Hulk run and then the Ragnarok run in Thor. I think it would be better to like use the ideas that are clearly working. And that one's a very fun series because it is kind of a redo of the origin story. I and mean, it's still turtles get ooze on them, uh, but they use it in such a way that it like builds out the world earlier. Um, and I think it's a very fun, fun way. It, it, it would take a lot longer to go into exactly how it, like that story would work, but I think that would be like a fun starting point. And it's, I mean, the series is run for, I haven't read all of them, but I think it's like a hundred issues or something, which is pretty long for a comic. And uh, I think that would be a fun place to start because it, it, it merges in like these movies and the comics that have uh, Shredder and the Foot Clan. But uh, from the cartoon, there's also Rocksteady and Bebop and uh, Krang and uh, uh, Baxter Stockman, like all these, uh, very fun cartoony villains that it does a very good job of like bringing in and like kind of a grounded believable way but you still have this like you know uh a mutant uh uh rhinoceros like fighting with turtles you're like yeah that's kind of what i want when i watch ninja turtles is like crazy ninja stuff and mutants fighting each other (laughs) and then uh finally 100% 100% live action. And I think like like this movie, you would probably want to do some combination of CGI and uh, practical effects. Um, the thing I always like is uh, uh, in, I think it was uh, Man Seeking Woman, uh, which was this tiny show on FX that uh, almost no one watched, but is amazing if you like kind of adult romantic comedies it's very good um but the they have this one scene where someone sees their like child like their imaginary childhood friends and it's clearly practical effects but then they've like cgi'd on the eyes and a little bit of the mouth so it looks way more real and i think a combination of like henson style animatronics like this movie and that would make it a lot more fun than like just full cgi or full practical Oh, I love the idea of bringing back animatronics. I think now there is almost a desire to return to that and uh, have it be not like CGI for stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles attempts to be so realistic that it in fact takes you out of the story, I would argue. Whereas because the way the the turtles are framed in this 1990 live action film the the world itself seems to fit them even though they look absurd and you would never expect to see them on the street but they don't seem out of place there so i i love the idea of bringing back animatronics for sure ah 
So what? Uh, one question I definitely cannot let you leave without asking is, based on your deep knowledge, what is your favorite phrase that any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles say? Because this series and this film is very notice- notable for its phrases. Well, I, I think the one that like sticks out as being their most like identified with them is obviously Cowabunga. Because uh, they say that uh, that's kind of their, I would say, if, if anything, that is their catchphrase. Although it's mostly Mike, uh, Mikey that says it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think because like watching that movie and I've seen that movie so many times, but I rewatched it yesterday. And uh, for me, the thing that's rubbed off the most is I probably say dude way more often than you would expect from someone from who grew up born in Montana and grew up in Arkansas. So yeah, I mean, I think just that, like they kind of made that surfer dude vibe a lot more prevalent and uh, really hyped that up. Um, I always remembered though, from this movie is that uh, it's like a PG uh, kids movie and Raphael uh, definitely says damn twice in the first like 10 minutes one yelling and it like echoes through the city so I think that uh, um, both of those kind of stick out and yeah I don't know if there's like a specific phrase uh, otherwise but probably yeah probably cowabunga I would have to agree with that I think that's the one that like that's the one phrase that people say and they immediately think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, people I guess born in a certain age, like at a certain time um, in the 80s and 90s, like can very easily identify um, Cowabunga and kind of that. I'm doing it with my hand, but it's like the the surfer thing. I don't know what it's called. It's like when you stick out your pinky and your thumb and kind of shake your hand back and forth. Now that I think about it, I actually think it's called Hang Ten. I think it's like Cowabunga, dude, and you like shake your hand. Yeah, I believe you are right. Yes, it came back to me. Okay, well, AJ, we need to start wrapping up our podcast. Um, It has been so fun to have this conversation with you. Uh, Before we finish talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Um, we always ask our guests and ourselves whether this movie has significance and relevance today. Like, should young people today be seeing this movie? Why or why not? Uh, I think it's it's tough for me to say because I clearly love this movie. But as far as... uh, I, I would feel comfortable telling a friend, like, their kids could watch it after, you know, five or six, whenever they think it's appropriate. I'm not great at kids, so I'm not sure uh, the age range of everything. But I think uh, it definitely is relevant, uh, especially in the sense of if you look, I was trying to find this article because I read this a couple years ago, but talking about how this wave of superhero movies we're we're getting, a lot of people credit Batman in the, like, I think it was 89 um, for launching it. And I think that's accurate. But this article was talking about how that movie's very different from superhero movies now, whereas The Turtles is definitely that kind of movie where it's, uh, you know, the superheroes, you know, kind of argue with each other before they finally, like, get their act together, team up and fight the bad guy real hard. So... I think it definitely, it does not feel dated. It feels, it probably still would be relevant today, uh, even setting aside how iconic the characters are. Um, I think there are some issues. It it only technically, you know, passes the Bechdel test. It, I think, does have some issues with how it handles, uh, you know, Japanese culture and I think there are probably ways to do it more respectfully, uh, as well as some like very casual uh, homophobia in the movie. 
Uh, all pretty light, but it's still, they're all things I bumped on. I probably haven't watched this movie in 10 years. They were all things like I noticed. And um, I don't know that it's any worse than other movies at the time, but I think as a society, we can do better. So that, those would be my hangups on like fully recommending it. Like if, if I was hanging out, like, yeah, I mean, I, uh, so yeah, I think it is still, uh, a fun, uh, fun movie, but with those reservations. Uh, and then the other like one, like fun fact I did hear about it. It at the time was the most successful independent movie ever made. Uh, it was made, uh, it was financed by like a Kung Fu company from, uh, I think from Hong Kong and they made it for $13 million and it made $135 million. It got distribution from new line, uh, but it was independently produced before that. So, which is, I think, kind of cool. It was uh, eventually beat by other movies this century. But I think, you know, pound for pound, it's one of the uh, higher grossing independent movies of all time. Eleanor, do you want to go? Yes. I similarly have, there are the hesitations and things do not always age gracefully. I would say, and I think AJ pointed out, clear moments where to watch this with a child, you would want to stop and be like, well, that's like a little, that is problematic. And um, it's interesting to see how how much um, things have really changed since 1990 in, in terms of what we would deem um, appropriate in terms of gender or sexuality even in uh, films where gender and sexuality are not at the forefront or of this film. Um, but I, I think this film is so fun. And I think with the animatronics and with like the filmmaking style, and we didn't touch on it much tonight, but paired with the martial arts element, it also involves a lot with the physical comedy and, that I find that children are constantly um, drawn to. If we think about like, there's elements of the Marx Brothers in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, even in terms of the personalities at play. Um, and yeah, I I would love to discuss that or think about that with kids. Cool. Yeah, and I think that kind of where I'm at, um, as I was saying before at least in terms of Renaissance artists, this could be a great kind of jumping off point, even in like that very silly little way. Um, so while I wouldn't like wholeheartedly be like, yeah, like kids need to watch this movie. Um, I don't think they need to see it, but I do think it's fun and um, it can be a fun way for them, even in just like a little way to, to experience the nineties, which are very much back in vogue. So, I mean, Maybe we'll see another one. Oh, wait, Michael Bay just did it. So that's been done. The 90s revival has come and gone. What they need to do is make more three ninja movies. There weren't ever enough of them. And no one knows about them, but that's for another day. Okay, so before we go, we always talk about our favorite pop culture thing, piece of fiction, article movie tv show of the week um so does someone want to start okay i guess i can go <laughs> um my favorite pop culture thing of the week is this one song by kanye west and i didn't know until today uh, eleanor and i spent the weekend in mexico that um kanye kind of had an interesting weekend on snl but he has this song. I'm looking up the name of it right now because I kind of love it. Um, it's called, oh, it's called I Love It and Little Pump. Um, and it's not kid appropriate, but it is very fun to listen to and to sing along with. And there's a clean version that like is now on the radio, which I think is funny because it just doesn't, have the same kind of punch for me, but it's a, it's a fun song. Nice. Yeah. Um, I will, I guess 
talk about a book I just finished. It was uh, actually a gift from my brother uh, for my birthday this summer. And I, uh, he gave me two and they were just both very long. So I finally got through the second one. And it's called The Lions of Al-Rasan by Guy Gabriel K. I think it's his name. I always, it's like GGK and I always mess up the letter of like the order they go in. But it's, he writes these really cool fantasy novels that are, he like studies and intensely a time period. I think so far it's generally been in uh, Europe, uh, but I've only read two of his like 12 novels, but this one is set in, it's effectively, it's inspired by Spain uh, around the time of the Crusades. So there's three different, uh, uh, well, there's two different factions and kind of two other factions that are kind of in the middle that are like uh, representative-ish of those times, but very like it's not like a clear, like, oh, this is historical fiction. It's just kind of inspired by it. Um, and the book is basically, there are clearly two, like, holy wars about to start up from each side. And it's about the people stuck in the middle. And it was, uh, while not for kids by any stretch, it was uh, delightful. It was very fun and very, uh, very good. So that's kind of been my uh, best book recently. Okay, for me, I have become obsessed with this French singer-songwriter called Christine and the Queens, and it, I only know about her because one of my friends was complaining about how nobody in America listens to her, and this is an American uh, who was complaining about no one how in America listens to her, her t- concert tickets are not selling out, but in LA, uh, in Europe, she sells out uh, arenas and people like fight for the tickets and I was like that sounds fascinating and then I listened to her music and it was really it's like pop but also like electro but not in an annoying way where I would judge someone for listening to it and so that's been a really fun way to start the week Um, especially uh, recording this on a Monday and that can get very tiring and long but it was a good way to end the day or end the workday was listening to a little bit this bit of this music. Um, so back to Annie. Wait, Eleanor, can you say that one more time? Like, what was the name of the band? Because I want to listen to them. The name of the band is Christine and the Queens, and it's actually not a band. It's a singer songwriter. So similar to like Francis and the Lights. Uh, it sounds as if it's more than one person, but it's not. Cool. And with that, we are going to um, end our podcast here. Uh, for listeners, um, thank you for listening. AJ, thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, we will definitely put links to your um, upcoming web series. That's so exciting. We love a good spy caper. And um, please follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, we do not yet have a YouTube channel, but one day we aspire to. So maybe AJ, you can help us with that. And um, please contact us. Thank you so much for having me.